this podcast episode, I feature another victim of the post office scandal, Rubina Shaheen. Now, I've got to be honest, I've been going into my local post office for years, and I have a little natter with the person behind the counter, but I've never really thought about the system that they use or what they do. What is clear when you start to research these cases is that so many people's lives are affected because they are often in the heart of the community. Prior to going into what happened to Rabina, I want to thank her family for allowing me to record this episode at the family home and being so welcoming. I also want to thank Rabina and her husband Mohammed for sharing with me so many personal documents regarding the case and what happened to her. Rabina lost everything, including her liberty, when she was wrongfully prosecuted, and the stress of what happened to her has had a devastating effect on her health. When the conviction was quashed earlier this year, she described how she was mentally tortured for 12 years, with serious life-changing illnesses caused by what happened to her. Before you listen to the story, I wanted to read to you what the Court of Appeal said about Rabina. They said this, There is nothing to indicate that any ARQ data was obtained at the time of the criminal proceedings. There was no evidence to corroborate the Horizon evidence. There was no investigation into the integrity of Horizon figures. There was no proof of an actual loss as opposed to Horizon-generated shortfall. The post office accepts that in this case it failed to have regard to the bigger picture, namely that in 2007 there was an intervention visit by a post office representative. The accompanying report set out the various errors that Mushaheen was making and the account was reduced to just £8,000. We have already referred to the troubling attendance note in Mushaheen's case in which she was said to be using solicitors who have jumped on the Horizon bandwagon and in which the need to win was expressed as being absolutely vital. The post office concedes only that Mushaheen's prosecution was unfair, but we are bound to conclude that her prosecution was in addition an affront to justice. The public interest requires us to mark this latter conclusion. We do so by allowing her appeal both to ground one and two. Her conviction is unsafe. Notwithstanding her guilty plea, we quash her conviction. This is Rabina's story. Hello and welcome, Mohammed and Rabina. I wondered if you could just briefly introduce yourselves for the podcast. My name is Rabina Shaheen and I was convicted for the falsifying accounts. And I'm Mohammed, Rabina's husband, who was working with Rabina all the time and still with her. Thank you. I wondered if we could start right at the beginning. Before all this happened, what was life like? I met Rubina in 2003. I got divorced and I met Rubina. We got married in 2005. We then decided that in order for our future life investment, that uh, we should buy a post office. So we looked around and we were shown one in, in Shrewsbury. We came to see that one and we liked it because there was a house attached to the post office which is a typical British uh, corner shop like and we exchanged contracts in August 2006 and from then on Rubina had been running and has been the post me had been the post mistress uh, for Greenfield's post office and I was on the retail side of the of the shop. And I understand having spoken to others who were victims of the miscarriage of justice 
that happened in relation to post office that there was quite involved vetting process in order to get a contract. Certainly, we went uh, twice for the interview in Wagner. To our surprisement, yes, we were accepted to be, or rather, Kubina was accepted to be the postmistress. And as part of that vetting process, the important thing is obviously they had to do background checks, and obviously, Rubina would have had to been of good character in order to have a contract. Yes, we were both of good character. As I said, I've been divorced and I had been a retail manager, uh, head of the accounts department, run a retail shop. And Rubina had worked for DWP in Birmingham for 11 odd years. So obviously our our background check of good character was there, yes. And in terms of training, the system at the time was the Horizon system, which is still in use now. What sort of level of training did Rubina get? I mean, obviously this was totally new. We had not post office before. So when in the interview, they, they, they did indicate that you get some training. And Rubina actually got to two days, I wouldn't even say two full days of training. Uh, so so that lapsed into sort of, because it was half days here and there, it was sort of two over two weeks that she got the post office training. At that point in time, obviously, as I said earlier, we didn't know anything about the post office. And, and then we learned that this is the word, the founding system was called the Horizon. System. When did things start to go wrong with that system? Yeah, apparently in 2006, truck 7. We took the post office in, in, in August 2006. So in sort of early 2007, we had a shortfall of some 26 or 1,000 pounds. And she called me over and said, you know, they, they, I said, well, you must have punched in something wrong. They, they, they can't be 26,000 pounds. She spent uh, that that day almost till midnight trying to rectify what what had gone wrong anyway having had the accounting background i requested her to put it into a suspense account you see the post office horizon system had two buttons either you put under suspense or you punch in balance uh if you do neither you cannot trade the next day so you have to punch in one of those two buttons. And I, as I said, I advise her to put on the suspense and we will look into it as to what, what has happened. So that's what she did. Punch the suspense account and obviously was able to trade. But the next very next day, just past nine o'clock, there was a phone call from the cash office saying cough up. 26,000 pounds and she explained basically that the fact is something has gone wrong you know the, 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 we, we, we haven't you know there's no 26,000 pounds going to drift cash adrift so we, we are looking into it what happened as a result well it went on for, for a few months actually and we were adamant not to pay this sum of money and we requested and requested that uh, some, somebody should come down and have a look at the system. And eventually they sent a guy called Richard, who spent a whole day trying to look for it. And he found 
and I was on the shop side, and Rubina called me over, and he found 18,000 of the of, of the 26. So I said, well, Richard, you might as well find the rest, you know, because obviously if you found it, there is something gone wrong. I said, well, I haven't got any more time. I, I've been allocated just one day to come and have, have a look, and I'll report back to the cash office. And I understand that he obviously did report back to the cash office because I've seen correspondence. You've been kind enough to share that with me and Rubina, which shows that they acknowledged that this shortfall £18,000 had been found, but that you had to then pay the remaining amount that was out, outstanding. Basically, then obviously, because the, the balance of the 8000 of the twenty six, they, they, they were demanding it. And again, letters went to and fro, and eventually sort of they said, you know, we, we, we cannot give either cough out, and what we'll start doing is take uh, 500 odd pounds of, of uh, salary every month. Obviously, someone there's something wrong with the system because the trainer has come in and managed to find £80,000 worth of errors. And that's not because you had done anything wrong. You hadn't pressed the wrong buttons, nor had Rubina. That's because something had gone wrong clearly with the system. So how did it make sure that they were still demanding that you pay the remaining man- money that they said... You owe them. Well, obviously, the the fact is now with hindsight. The the the, the fact is that we didn't know, obviously, the whole system, how it was working, the, the Horizon system. I, we were just taking their word that there's nothing else wrong with it, and Richard has found 18,000 of the 26, and there's nothing more either party can do and you have to pay which because the contract says that every you know any shortfalls basically the post master stroke mistress is is liable for it one can understand that yes but the fact is i mean we were still adamant to the fact is something was wrong with, with, with the system something had gone adrift at some stage they want to speak to rubina under caution i wondered if you could just explain what happened and, and what led to that well there were besides this incident then there, there were more shortfalls happening and being having all these shortfalls obviously the cash office didn't send us the cash which one requires every week to to pay the customers and the pensioners and what so so with his phone calls and the cash office used to say, oh, no, you got that sum of money with yourselves. And we, we, we said, no, we haven't got any cash and we can't distribute the cash out back to customers. And I think in hindsight, the fact is that some of the customers complained to the post office that we, this Greenfield's post office, haven't got cash to dish out, which led to an auditor coming in to just before nine o'clock uh, and trying to audit the, the Greenfield's post office and found a discrepancy of 43,000 pounds. I mean, if I can just stop you there, 43,000 pounds cash, they're suggesting that you should have that on site must have shocked you to the core, you and Rabina. Well, it, it, obviously it, it does. It, it did. And the fact was, prior to that, luckily Rubina had found that what was really happening uh, on a balancing days, that there is basically when the cash comes in, is randy, was different to what the trial balance was showing. So 
Before, when the auditor had come in, obviously, we, we, Rubina had done a, a, a rough sketch of the monies that we felt were showing short in the remains. At the time of the audit, obviously, Rubina provided this piece of paper to say there's about 11 items where I feel that the remain figure is wrong. The auditor had a word with the head office and uh, and on, upon their discussion, uh, Rubinas was suspended from the post office. And as a result of that, Rubina then at some stage was spoken to, wasn't she, under caution? I wondered if you could just explain the listeners what happened. Uh, yes, obviously Rubina's uh, contract was suspended and the post office was closed. Well, within a week, the investigators had come in, interviewed as to this shortfall. They, they came at home, they were sitting in the lounge, where only Rubina and another member, there were two investigators, and there was another person from the Federation, just as a representative, was there, and she was interviewed. She was interviewed. And just to be clear, at that stage, Rubina didn't have a solicitor with her, did she? Uh, they, they, they did ask us whether we wanted one, and we, we declined at that point in time. We declined. We didn't want a solicitor. Number one was the fact is that, obviously, we had done nothing wrong. You know, this cash is gone missing somewhere, as they say. So we didn't feel that legally that we wanted a solicitor at that point in time. And the person that was sat there to support Rubina didn't actually intervene at any point, did they? They were just there, really, to watch what was going on. Yes, the Federation rep, a lady, she was not supposed to comment on anything, just as, a, as, a, as an observer was there, yes. So effectively, Rubina was on her own. Yes, yes. And then what happened was that she was effectively interrogated and although she was trying to explain, and I know she had, like you said, given them paperwork to indicate the shortfalls that she had managed to find that you had uh, helped to find as well, they uh, continued to say uh, effectively she had stolen this money. Yes, the fact is obviously they couldn't believe that there were 11 items jotted down with, with shortfalls. And to this day and age now, one thinks how many more could have been found. But unfortunately, we, we, we were not able to get all of our, all of our paperwork. But they, they could not believe that they were ramming shortfalls and at one point in time they said to Rubina you are the only one we've never seen something like this before and the first day they went away after almost a full day of interrogation Rubina had to present all the bank accounts her life history family history and they came back I'm not sure whether the following day or in a week's time and said that we have done our through our findings we find that there is nothing wrong with with the remaining figures you have made this all out now obviously you weren't present during these interviews but Rubina explained how that felt to hear those sort of words uh, and to have with that level of interrogation from your point of view, I imagine you were pretty helpless in that situation. You could do anything 
but just sit and wait. Yeah, exactly, because they won't allow me. And, and you know, I felt sorry for Rubina, obviously trying to face face them with all this interrogation, but they, they just wouldn't allow me in and they didn't want to interview me either. So it was, it, it was difficult. It was difficult. At that point in time, on the second visit, they indicated that we could appeal against this decision of terminating a contract, which we did, but we didn't go in person. We filled all the forms in and presented our appeal, which was also declined. So at some stage, if we fast forward, Rubina was charged with two offences, theft and false accounting. Now, I know that at one stage, you obviously had instructed a solicitor, and very interestingly, the solicitor you instructed was also representing three others, I believe, at the same time who were going for a similar situation with the post office. And you were then introduced to a barrister. Obviously, as a legal professional myself, I found it very upsetting. You and Rabina had a very difficult experience I wonder if you could just share what happened when you initially met the first Yes, yes. Rubina was charged with two offences, one of theft and one for falsifying accounts. Yes, the solicitor, through talking through colleagues, or advised us to go to, to this particular solicitor because she was dealing with three other cases. So we thought she would have the experience of what is really going wrong. Uh, and because the hearing was in, in November 2009, we had to sort of have a conference with a barrister in, in Bristol Crown Court. And upon there, this barrister, within five minutes of sitting down, he said, you better plead guilty because there's nothing else. I can have senior paperwork. And I feel, you know, that you need to plead guilty. Obviously, Rubina was in tears. I was shocked. The solicitor's clerk was shocked to hear what he was saying. And yes, Rubina was, we were both very upset. Rubina was more upset than, you know, obviously. She was uh, in tears. And obviously, a solicitor, a barrister, uncle clerk has to give advice to clients. And sometimes they have to give advice about the strength of the evidence the client isn't going to to like or want to hear and can be very upsetting. But I appreciate having talked to you and Rabina side this podcast interview, that you sort of felt that it was a very dismissive approach from the outset. They'd made their mind up. But also, interestingly, this particular barrister was representing, again, someone else who was in a similar position. Yeah, we found out after that this particular barrister was representing some other postmistress and also had indicated that postmistress should be guilty because he's... As you said, he, he didn't want to hear our story, he didn't want to say any more, but to come up with the conclusion that no, just plead guilty because there's nothing you can do about it. You know, it's it's not right that, that, that they just come up with saying that you, you, you have committed a crime. How, what sort of effect was the process having on you and Rabina in terms of your health, in terms of your ability to earn money to to function as a family? Well, obviously, with, with Rubina's uh, contract being terminated from the post office, was a, this was a major part of, of an income, and that stopped. So obviously, our, and not having the post office running fully, um, the retail side really went down. It was very, it was a very worrying situation. You know, we were both sort of going through uh, 
a trauma, you know, basically worried Steve, you know, is is that the trial is going to come. And there's me trying to reassure you know, that the fact is that we haven't done anything wrong. We'll prove that the fact is the Redmond figures were 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 wrong. So it was a situation, you know, uh, a very worrying situation, yes. So the trial comes and I wonder if you could just explain what happened. Well, with this barrister who said to, uh, in, in Bristol, who said to Rubina to plead guilty, we obviously on the way back to, to, to Shrewsbury from Bristol, we got a phone call from, from our solicitor saying, look, I heard that you were not happy and, and what I'm going to do is change the barrister. But obviously being Monday was the hearing, the weekend was in between, that he will try and call you over the weekend and see you in court on Monday morning, which he did, obviously. And um, Rubina was pleading not guilty to both counts. That's what was stated in court. And then it was a new date of hearing was set up. So you get to the trial and what happens? At the trial, obviously, the jury was sworn in. We broke up for lunch. At two o'clock, we had to resume. And at quarter to two, the post office counsel had a word with our counsel to request for a plea bargain. And what was, the, what was that deal they were offering? Uh, they were offering that the fact is that they will drop the theft charge, but Rubina has to plead guilty to falsifying accounts. Upon the advice of the barrister, and then I rang the solicitor at the same time, the fact is they said this is, this is we feel, a good turning point because hopefully, hopefully you will not get a custodial sentence. At this point in time, obviously, it is 10 to 2. The court is going to resume at 2 o'clock. There is me and Rubina on our own. Rubina asking for help, and I'm there not able to help because this is a decision that my words were either you take a, a longer jump or a shorter jump. There's nothing else I can say at this point in time, and that was my last words to her. Because at that point in time, who do you go or do you adjourn the court or what? You know, and as I said, upon the advice of the barrister, he reckoned that chances are you might not get a custodial sentence. So Rubina agreed to pleading guilty to falsifying accounts. Obviously, you had to make that decision in quite a short time period because, as you said, it was over the lunch break, a 15-minute time frame. And it's a really difficult decision to make. Well, Rubina chose to make that decision, hoping that she wouldn't be sent to prison. And if they felt that it crossed the custody threshold because of the amount and the fact it was the post office, they would suspend any term of imprisonment. What actually happened to Rubina? It was a shock to the system that the fact is the judge said that I want to create an example of, of you, gave a custodial sentence of 12 months. So she was sent to prison, I understand, for 12 months, and Rubina, obviously, she served three months, then was released, had to have a tag fitted around her ankle and comply with a curfew, and was obviously on licence as well. When you heard that sentence, when the judge said, I want to make an example of you to your wife, 
and she was sent down. What was going through your head? I mean, I imagine it's sort of indescribable, but what? Definitely, we we were, I mean, Mina was in tears. I was devastated that uh, the judge indicated that, uh, make an example and give you a a 12-month custodial sentence. I'm sorry, I know it's, it's really upsetting to talk about. And, you know, you're a family member and, and I've talked to you before and to Rabina before that this thing that as a family member as well, someone that you love, you, you can't switch places. You can't, it's like when someone's ill, you can't take away the pain. And and so Rabina was sent to prison. And I know, for instance, one of the prisons she went to, you Googled it, didn't you, to see what it was like. Obviously, then you realise she was going to a place where, you know, it, it's a very risky, potentially environment, dangerous environment. I didn't know where she was going, to be honest. The barrister tried to comfort me and the barrister in the meantime had gone down to see in the cells to be transported to, to, the, to the prison. But one of the customers told me that she's going to Foston. And I googled Foston and I found that what took place. There have been so many sort of suicidal cases there and so forth. I was totally devastated. And that, that three month period. Yes, um, I mean, the, 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 the barrister, sorry, the barrister had indicated that we will appeal, right? Yeah. But then luckily, Rubina was able to get through to me on that night. And she, she said, the barrister had said, but she said I already got my release date, which was the 21st of March. So she had to serve three months in, in prison and then she was going to be tagged for further three months when she comes home and then six months on license. We decided, talking through Rubina day after, week after, we decided that we're not going to more than we, it was Rubina who decided that she doesn't want to appeal. For the reasons I can understand and I explained to her as much, the fact is, I mean, there have been cases in the past where you appeal that you get a higher sentence and it's not guaranteed that you go for a lower sentence. So we decided not to appeal. Plus the fact is, by the time the appeal goes through, the fact is, I mean, 21st, she had got a release date. We thought it's just no point in trying to appeal. No, because the reality is she would have been released or she would have been released before the appeal was even heard. So like you said, you don't want to take the risk that it could be increased. But likewise, if you've got the release date, then it's something to work towards. And I imagine that three months was obviously incredibly difficult and painful for Rabina, but also very difficult for you. And you try to continue, I know, to run the shop and to do normal things so that when Rabina came out she had something to come out to but it was a very difficult time I imagine for you as well. Yes it was definitely a difficult time not having the support of of your partner Rabina and trying to make arrangements to to visit her as many times as I could or be allowed to so it's it was a very difficult it was a very difficult time. At some point, Rabina's released. And I know the aftermath, even though she'd served her sentence, was real catastrophic because at one stage, you and Rabina were homeless and you had to sleep in your vehicle in the middle of a severe winter. Yes, I mean, um, obviously, as I said before, not having Rabina's salary come through the shop was having the, the dire effect of less sales and no post office. You know, well, the post office was run by, by, by a locum, 
but it wasn't the same. And then the bank put our property on auction. We fought that in court for nearly two years, but on the 13th of uh, February 2013, we were evicted. Whilst we were in court in Birmingham, uh, our house was broken into, repossessed. That left us being homeless, and the only place we could, at that point in time, it was five o'clock in the evening, we decided that we're going to obviously have to make the van as our home. We slept in the van, in the, it was a severe winter, and we slept in the van for six weeks before we were given some accommodation by Housing Alliance. So it was a very, very devastating uh, time for us. And at some stage, Rubina and you became aware that there were other people who had been the victims of a miscarriage of justice in relation to the post office. When and how did you become aware of that? Well, I'm not precisely, I haven't got a precise date as to, but Rubina came across in a trade magazine, uh, Computer Weekly, in which there was an article and we ran, we found this guy up who was ex-postmaster and he said, welcome aboard. Well, how, how did that make you feel? You heard we felt, welcome aboard. Well, well, the thing is, I mean, when, when told you are the only one, you know, and this guy says, welcome aboard and he had a good chat with us and he put in line with us with somebody else. And from there on, we knew that we were not the only ones and there were other postmasters in a similar situation. And I know at one stage, something that I found very upsetting to hear is that you went for a mediation process and you were with your MP and they said something to you that I, I couldn't believe when you told me, but I wonder yeah, well, if yeah. The Justice for Postmasters Alliance was formed because this is where we found that there were many people in the same boat. And we were part and parcel of, of, of the founders of this Justice for Alliance. Helen Bates was, was the chairperson. A, a lot happened between 2010 and 2015 because there were by this time at least 50 of us within this alliance. The post office had in the meantime uh, appointed uh, second site forensic accountants to look into our cases. And when the forensic, when the second site report came out, the post office threw it out of the window. But then there was the possibility which the post office said that if you disagree with it, you can sort of try and mediate uh, with your MP, which we did. We went to see our MP, Daniel Skravinsky, the Houses of Parliament, and the post office representatives would not come up with, with any sort of mediation because they said, we cannot do anything because you have been, uh, uh, the courts haven't acquitted you and there's nothing there for you. After that, the, we had a session with our MP who suggested to a professional advisor that isn't it this couple now give up? And before he could answer, I butted in saying, Daniel, there's no way we are going to give up till we die. How did that make you feel? But I know some MPs have been supportive 
of people who have been the victims of miscarriage of justice cases in relation to the post office situation. But how did that make you feel? Again, devastated because to come out from an MP to say rather than support, it, it we just couldn't believe that's what he said. It's a kick in the teeth, isn't it? It's obviously, you know, because you don't expect an MP to tell us that. You know, if you wanted to give up, you wouldn't have taken anybody's advice and just give up. But this was a case where we were not guilty. Thankfully, what actually happened was that you ignored rightfully what he said and you carried on fighting. And in April this year, Rabina's appeal was successful. She was one of the first group of people who went for an appeal. The thing is, the case was with CCRC, who took almost five years to 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 come up with the decision to request to go to the Court of Appeal. In the meantime, the, 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 the Postmasters Alliance was fighting their case and they had won the case in November 2020. And after that, we got a date from the CCRC to take our case to the Appeal Court. And on the 23rd of uh, April 2021, the Rubina's conviction was quashed. That was... A lot of weight taken off our shoulders, but obviously we've gone through hell. It's ruined Rubina's life. It's ruined Rubina's health. She is currently on on, on dialysis. The stress, uh, the anxiety, the stress. We all both had mental breakdowns. We both have been suicidal. Rubina was suicidal in, in, in the prison, and and there's no way that our health can be bought back. No, because no amount of compensation, although you are entitled and should be compensated for what happened, will ever be able to turn the clock back, like you said, and will help with the health problems that you've sustained and had to cope with because of these false allegations, the you know, the miscarriage of justice. It is obviously still an, it's still an ongoing battle. It is still going on, going better. I mean, only last week the the, the post office then struck the government announced that up to hundred thousand would be made to the uh, convicted postmasters whose uh, conviction has been quashed. But then there's more paperwork to be filled. There's six pages of paperwork to be filled, and and I can't see why. You know, the fact is that they're putting so much pressure on us, having gone through such a lot having gone through such a lot, the fact is they're still pushing us to do all this paperwork. They have got our gist of our figure work before, three times before, and they still want us to fill these forms in. Just, you know, I mean, there's no empathy. I mean, they keep on saying, yes, we are prepared. Paul Scurley for a test says in the House of Commons, yeah, nothing can replace what they've gone through. And they, they come up with this scheme to say, oh, fill the form in. And that also does not promise that we will get something. They might decline it. And also, the words you said were up to 100,000. Yeah. So that gives them the discretion. It's, it's not a fixed amount. It, it, it could be considerably less. And then yeah, how, how quickly do you get that money? And like you said, it doesn't help with all the difficulties that you've been, you know, it doesn't yeah. change what's happened and is long overdue to say but the least. Mohammed, if you could give one piece of advice to someone else 
who finds themselves in a similar position where they are accused and the person accusing is not an individual, but it's a big organisation like the post office who said that they prided themselves on having integrity what would you advise them to do? Advise, you mean? The accused. One who's in a position like Rabina was in. Well, number one, I mean, I mean, never think of buying a post office. That's number one, you know. I wouldn't suggest anybody to buy a post office. And with respect to an organisation, I mean, they should listen and hear the case of the accused. Thank you, Mohammed. I know that this has been a very traumatic experience and you've had to relive this a number of times, but I'm extremely grateful for you and to Rubina for your kindness and your willingness to share this story with, because it's really important that your story is heard and it may hopefully help others who are in a similar position as we speak not give up hope because eventually they may get their justice. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Maxine. I'd just like to take this opportunity again to thank Rabina and Mohammed for opening up so much to me. In the next episode, we talk to Michelle Diskin-Bates about what happened to her brother and to her and to her family. For those who don't know, it was a very high-profile case when Jill Dando was tragically murdered and Barry was convicted of the murder which he didn't commit.